This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks for being with us this morning. Well, my next guest is talking about uh, legitimate reasons to perhaps sue drug companies for their involvement, their part in the opioid crisis. It's something we're seeing done in the United States. And Ujjal Dosanjh joins us to talk a little bit more about this. Ujjal Dosanjh, thank you so much for being on the show. Good to be with you. Good morning. Uh, talk a little bit of what this would look like. Uh, we're seeing uh, in Ohio, Ohio is suing five drug companies uh, for their role in the opioid crisis that's happening there. Uh, what what do you take from that and think might be applicable here? Well, if Ohio has done um, proper research and they believe that there are reasonable grounds to believe that these companies have been misleading um, the public with respect to um, the effects of the opioids they manufacture, and have been selling them, um, you know, under fraudulent misrepresentations, um, then I think there are reasonable grounds uh, for provinces and states uh, to actually sue them because provinces in in the, in the country, in our country, um, administer health care. And uh, it would uh, be on the same basis as uh, we had sued uh, tobacco companies um, in British Columbia. We were the first to do so during my time. And uh, I think that there are precedents, and I would suggest that the attorneys general from across the country um, should be looking at the um, the steps being taken in Ohio and perhaps prepare for um, uh, litigation if if there are, if they believe there is evidence that uh, the companies have been misleading as to the effects of the medication they produce, is it different though in that? Is it, or would it be then to stop somebody from becoming addicted in the first place? Because a lot of the deaths that we're seeing here is because dealers have cut the drugs with fentanyl or have cut the drugs with other substances that are killing people. Look, I mean, I think that there there are several things. One, one, the first thing you have to do is deal with uh, the the situation as is and try and um, you know try and restrict the supply or deal with um, overdoses. All of those things have to be done. This is not a substitute for that. This is a this is a step to prevent companies in the future from continuing to mislead um, uh, people uh, across the country with this, with respect to their products. Um, I mean that the, the, the damages would come much later. The damages maybe to the government, uh, or maybe to the individuals, but ultimately uh, that would come much later. Right now, the crisis uh, can't be dealt with by simply by way of a litigation. And with the College of Physicians and Surgeons in BC, they have uh, stepped up the the requirements or the regulations that go with doctors prescribing opioids uh, to the point where uh, we've even talked to some people who are on pain control who say it's very difficult for them to get their dose because of these new rules. Uh, how much of this, though, falls into that as far as the drug companies? It's still it's still something that's prescribed through a doctor and that somebody gets through that way. Well, of course. I, I think the, the the issue that this litigation in Ohio raises isn't about whether or not doctors are prescribing properly. Uh, they may be prescribing properly or improperly, uh, sufficiently or insufficiently. Um, the issue that the alleged, the litigation raises is whether or not the information the the manufacturers, the pharmaceutical companies provide both to the doctors and the government and the public uh, is correct information or misleading information. If it's misleading information, that that obviously causes harm, uh, and it, that's the basis of a future legal action, and hopefully. 
if the uh, if the um, lit- litigation is successful, uh, the companies would in future stop uh, misleading um, the public, the government, and the doctors. And misleading something along the lines of perhaps downplaying how addictive something can be? Yes, of course. Um, as in the tobacco manufacturers case, uh, they were misleading us uh, as to the long-term effects of tobacco. Um, it could be similar in the case of the manufacturers of these um, these opioids. They may be downplaying the, uh, the um, side effects or the bad after effects um, of these um, um, opioids long-term use or short-term use. Uh, with the tobacco case, uh, th- with the lawsuit against tobacco companies, uh, what is happening with that? Is it still working its way through the courts? It is. It's. I understand it's still at the Court of Appeal level in B.C. It's taken many years because we had to first get the legislation in place to be able to sue, and then and then the legislation needed to be amended. Uh, some other provinces, I, under, I understand, have succeeded already, uh, although they started after us, but uh, it's still going through. It will be successful in the end. Uh, was something using that to, as maybe a framework or, or using that as, as something to go forward with perhaps suing pharmaceutical companies, though, that, that would be a timely and lengthy process in the courts in which time many more people are going to die of overdoses in this province? Oh, I, I, well, I, I, unfortunately, that may be the case. But if you if you start litigation and sue these companies, that becomes news, then both the public um and the doctors, perhaps as well as the governments, become more and sort of better informed as to these things and uh, and take extra steps um, before they allow the prescriptions to go forward. Uh, in, in Ohio, it's the state of Ohio suing. So would, if, if something like that was to happen here, would it be the province of B.C. suing? It would be the provinces uh, suing because the provinces actually pay the cost of prescriptions uh, in many cases as well as uh, they provide health care. Um, therefore, uh, with respect to uh, that, they would be um, they would be suing. With respect to the Aboriginal health, uh, it may be the federal government. Uh, and that's what I was curious about, being that it is a, it is a federal jurisdiction. Uh, but it, is it something you could see? I mean, you're a former health minister. Is it something that that could be taken on on a federal level? I think that the, the, the health minister and the, the minister of justice, they should be looking at it. Uh, I don't know all of the details of what's happened in Ohio, but, you know, if I were one of them, I would be very interested to uh, look at uh, what's happening. When when we started the process in British Columbia, I was the attorney general, and uh, we actually went across the border uh, to Seattle and to New York to look at uh, their legal actions and actually spent a day in court uh, while the proceedings were underway. Uh, to ensure that we were doing the right thing in the right way. Uh, and this would be, I imagine, one arm, uh, one line of defense in, in the fight uh, during this opioid crisis uh, with, uh, as far as also trying to save lives, also trying to figure out. Uh, we've heard from, we had uh, experts from Europe were in town recently talking about uh, providing safe uh, legal heroin to people. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, that's been um, sort of the, the request um, that's been around ever since I was the Attorney General a long, long time ago. Um, you know, my my sense is that, that we need to take a look at whether or not the regime we have in place, the prohibitions or the permissions that we have in place are appropriate. And I believe that uh, if we want to reduce the number of overdoses, 
we need to provide uh, appropriate places, safe places for people to inject or ingest these um, these uh, these drugs that they are dependent on. That way, at least they will do it uh, under appropriate circumstances, and there'd be less harm. Uh, so, um, and we do see more supervised consumption sites uh, opening up. But do you think uh, legalized heroin would also be uh, a, the right way to go? You know, I haven't looked at uh, that lately, and I'm not up on the science. Um, if the experts say that that's one way of reducing harm to people uh, and saving lives, um, that should be considered. All right. Uh, just before I let you go, I have to ask you, and this is switching gears a little bit, but uh, you were uh, involved in an election. At the time, people thought that was uh, an, an amazing election when uh, the New Democrats were reduced to two seats. Uh, what are your thoughts looking at what's happening in B.C. politics today? Well, you know, I was thinking, actually, it's a 16-year cycle. Um, if you remember, uh, the NDP lost the election in 1975 under Barrett, and the first time they won was 1991. We lost the election in 2001. The first time the NDP won again is 2017, 16 years later. So I was thinking about that, actually. But uh, I think that uh, the NDP, you know, has been rebuilding, and they came close um, several times to uh, beating the BC Liberals. Um, it was it was going to happen one day. Uh, I mean, this time it hasn't happened uh, in an effective way. Obviously, you now would have a minority government. Uh, seems like headed by John Horgan with the help of um, and support of the Greens. Uh, but uh, but it was bound to happen. Uh, I think people need change after a while, and uh, they were yearning for change. Um, and from my perspective, uh, you know, the Liberals didn't uh, really run a very good campaign. They were basically saying, "We've done a good job. Re-elect us." Uh, they they weren't they weren't presenting um, uh, uh, the the public with uh, anything they're going to do in the future. While the NDP and the Greens were aspirational, more aspirational, and uh, they seem to have uh, at least the two of them put together have a majority of the uh, seats in the legislature. Is it fair to say though that the NDP won? They didn't actually win. They were able to to come into to hope. Well, they're hoping to take power by brokering a deal. Oh, no, the, I'm, I'm saying the uh, two of them put together one. Right. So the B.C. Liberals actually lost, but to two parties, not to one party. Uh, what about the stability of government? Uh, is that a concern? Well, that's always a concern, but we have experience at the federal level. I, I was part of a minority government federally, and we had, you know, way back uh, in W.A.C. Bennett's time, uh, a minority government, uh, there are experiences across the world, and I think it's not uh, it's not something that's terrible because sometimes minority governments do a very good job. They are very transformational, as was Pearson government uh, federally that brought in so many national programs that still survive, and people cherish them. So I I'm looking forward to uh, you know whether it's the BC Liberals that survive or, or the NDP that uh, gets the power with the assistance of the Greens. I'm I, it would be a minority government either way, and, and I, I think it's it's good for the province, uh, at least for a little while. All right. Uh, Ujjal Dasanj, always great to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. All right. That is uh, Ujjal Dasanj, former health minister, former attorney general, former premier. He's uh, been around and seen a lot in this province. Uh, also talking about, uh, we went a bit uh, in a different direction there, talking about the drug crisis uh, as well and the idea of a lawsuit against the drug companies. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.